Have you ever heard, or do you remember some of the first singles, the first songs that some famous recording artists released? Are you familiar with What You Need by The Weeknd, Tim McGraw by Taylor Swift, or maybe Hometown Glory by Adele? You know, in the music industry, recording artists often release a, first, a single song first in an attempt to rally fans or get the press talking or maybe increase energy uh, for future releases. And in the music industry, recording artists will put a lot of time and attention and care and thought into the first single that they release. It can be significant. Tonight, we're going to be starting a new sermon series, which is called Encounters with Jesus. And today, we're going to look at the first sign that Jesus performed. It's significant. And we're going to be looking at how it can impact our lives very deeply. Today, uh, we're going to be reading from John chapter 2 today, where we're going to read about Jesus' first sign. And so I invite you, if you like, to open your Bibles to John chapter 2. Or you could look on your phone, on your app, or else up on the screen. On the third day, a wedding took place in Cana in Galilee, and Jesus' mother was there. And Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, my hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. And nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. And they did so. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. And so we see in this text that Jesus and his disciples went to a wedding in Galilee. And weddings in that ancient culture were very different as compared to many of ours today. In that ancient culture, weddings usually lasted for a week with invitations sent to everybody in that hometown. In addition to that, wedding celebrations were usually the very best event in a person's life. And so running out of wine at a wedding celebration was a big deal. It was the bridegroom's responsibility. Running out of wine would be considered inhospitable and an insult to people in that community. It would have actually been a social catastrophe for that family in that shame and honor culture. And so when Jesus decided to turn water into wine on that day, it, this was an act of compassion towards the family. But it was also more than that. Did you see in the text in verse 11 that it says that this was Jesus' first sign? And just like first songs can be significant, 
Jesus' first sign is significant, and it can impact our everyday lives in many ways. In this uh, message today, I'm going to explore three movements. And first, we'll look at Christ's offer to us. Secondly, we'll look at our experience. And then thirdly, connecting to joy. So first, Christ's offer. In the book of John, there were seven signs recorded that Jesus performed. And we just read about the first one. Some of the other signs included feeding thousands of people, Jesus also healed people, and he even raised Lazarus from the dead. You know, so doesn't it seem just a little unusual that his first sign, the significant sign, would be where he turns water into wine? You know, doesn't it seem a little more mundane or maybe trivial as compared to the other ones? So we can look a little more closely at what the significance of the signs were that Jesus performed. His signs were not primarily displays of power. There was a message there as well. And so later in the book of John, in John chapter 20, we can, read, we can learn more about the purpose of the signs. And in verse 30 in John 20, it says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. And so we, hear, we see here that the purpose of the signs is so that people can see who Jesus is, so people can believe in him and find life in him. And so how does this happen in the first sign? How is it that when Jesus turned water to wine, how does that help us to see who Jesus is? And how does it help us to find life in him? In scripture, wedding celebrations were very festive. And in scripture, wine is considered to be a symbol of joy. And so when Jesus turned the water into wine, he's speaking a message to us about joy and the reality that we can experience joy as we look to him and as we connect with him. We even see this in our culture a little bit. Um, do you remember that song from about 10 years ago called Happy by Pharrell Williams? That catchy little song where he says, happiness is the truth. You know, many of us in our culture, many of us, it's our common experience to seek after joy and happiness. And we're using these words interchangeably here. It's our common experience to really long for joy. C.S. Lewis, who is the author of Narnia Chronicles and many other amazing books and articles, C.S. Lewis wrote that joy is the serious business of heaven. And so this very first sign that Jesus performed is pointing us towards the reality of what life is all about. It's pointing us to the reality of how Jesus is the joy giver and how we can experience joy in him, this thing that we're all looking for most of the time or much of the time. And this joy that Jesus offers to us is also very abundant. Did you notice in the text that Jesus um, asked the servants to fill very, six very large stone jars with water? And the volume of these jars, if you add it all up together, would be 500 to 700 liters of wine that night that Jesus uh, changed in from water. In this 
uh, story and in this sign, Jesus is not encouraging us to drink more wine or consume more alcohol. It, but it's a picture of abundance. You know, alcohol, of course, is uh, addictive and it's best for some people to abstain. But it is a picture of joy and it's in a picture of the abundance of joy that Jesus wants to offer to us. And I wonder how you're feeling here today and when you're here with us tonight. I wonder if you're feeling happy and full of joy and gratitude and giving thanks to God for that. Or I wonder if you're feeling a little more discouraged or downhearted tonight. You know, our human experience encompasses a wide range of emotions. And these are things that we all experience from time to time. Now, there might be some of you here today who are on an easier part of your journey. Maybe you're feeling happiness and joy and you're feeling grateful for all that's going on in your life. But, you know, even in these good seasons that we experience from time to time, there still can be a tendency for joy to diminish or for joy to ebb. You know, just like the wine did that night. The joy at the, the wine at the wedding feast diminished and then it ran out. And sometimes in our everyday lives, even in the good seasons, we can have this experience of joy ebbing or diminishing. An example or a picture of this is when we purchase new things. So for example, if you purchase a new sweater or a new phone or a new bike or something, sometimes when we're shopping or purchasing something new, we can feel a little bit of joy for a while. But this experience of joy is not usually long-lasting. Another picture or example could be when we get outside and we enjoy the beauty of God's creation. You know, that can fill our hearts with joy as well. And this joy that we experience when we go outside usually and might often last longer than the joy we experience from purchasing new things, but it still has a tendency to ebb or to run out as well. It's kind of our common human experience sometimes. G.K. Chesterton wrote something about this. He wrote, the world will never starve for want of wonders, but only for want of wonder. The world will never starve for want of wonders, but only for want of wonder. You know, this means that there's really so much around us for us to look with wonder upon. God has made so many beautiful things and there's so many gifts in our lives. But sometimes what happens is we lack the ability to appreciate it. We lack the ability to look with wonder towards it or to marvel at it. This is sometimes what happens to us. Like the wine at the wedding feast. So there are probably some here today who are feeling thankful and happy and grateful, but there are probably also some others here today who are feeling discouraged or downhearted for a variety of reasons. Have you heard that newer song by Taylor Swift, which is called uh, Snow at the Beach? There's a somewhat jarring line in this song uh, where she said that life is emotionally abusive. So it seems that Taylor Swift, even in all her affluence, still experiences struggles and hardships. This is something that we all go through from time to time. We have this contrast with life is emotionally abusive and this other line, happiness is the truth. We have good times and bad times, easier seasons and harder ones. But are there ways that we can taste the joy that Jesus wants to offer to us 
even in the midst of good times and bad times, and even if we're in a very difficult season. The Apostle Paul wrote something about this in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. You may realize that the Apostle Paul had struggles and hardship in his life. He experienced slander, he experienced beatings and imprisonment, and actually in 2 Corinthians 6, there's a long list of all the hardships and struggles he endured. And yet, in that same chapter, the Apostle Paul wrote that he was sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. Sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. Paul experienced sorrow and joy at the same time. You know, it seems that the Apostle Paul found a way to taste the joy that Jesus is offering in the good times and in the bad. It seems the Apostle Paul was able to experience Jesus turning his water into wine, even in difficult seasons. I'm going to take a couple minutes and just explain to you some of the ways that I connect to Christ to experience his joy, and then after that, I'm going to invite Irene to the stage to share part of her story. So some of my favorite ways to connect to the joy of Christ include a rhythm every day, most days in the morning, where I wake up and I look to scripture and I, I pray. And for the past two or three years, I've been using a book which is called Seeking God's Face, which is written and compiled by Philip Reinders. And this is a book that Pastor Ken encouraged staff to read two or three years ago. So in this book, there's a different page for each day of the year, and it includes a couple short written prayers. It includes a psalm and another portion of scripture, and also encouragements to silent prayer. And almost every day when I read this book, I notice that one or two lines kind of jump out at me from scripture. And I believe that this is the Holy Spirit speaking to me through that part of scripture. And so sometimes I'll be reading a psalm, and you might realize that psalms are very emotive. And so sometimes when I'm reading a psalm, I'll experience the Holy Spirit filling me with hope or encouragement or joy or strength in whatever I might be needing that day. And other days, the whole, I'll notice that one or two lines jump out at me from scripture. And sometimes God will use those lines and those words to readjust my thinking or to realign my perspective so that it's more closely aligned with what God's thoughts are and what his perspective is. And so these are ways that I connect to the joy of Christ being filled with hope and encouragement and joy or strength when I need it it leads to an experience of joy. It's, it's huge. You know, or having my thoughts realigned to God's perspective, that's huge. And these are ways that I encounter Jesus almost every day. There can be many ways to encounter Jesus. This just happens to be my favorite. And now I'm going to invite Irene to the stage, a very joyful person, if you know her, if you've had the joy of meeting her. And she's going to share with us how she connects to Christ, how she experiences joy in him. She's going to share with us how he turns her water into wine. 
Thank you, Pastor Laura, and thank you, Evening Community. So I'm going to share with you the, my very first time receiving the joy of the Lord. It was when I was around 14 years old. At that time, I attended Christian High School in Indonesia, and we had a gathering every Saturday. And on one gathering, I suddenly felt how broken I was, and and that I have hurt God. That whatever I did in the past, even all the good things, is all just. For, for myself, you know, it's very me, 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 and me, and very self-centered life. And by that time, I, I began to understand why I, I have failed God, like I should worship Him and honor Him, but I didn't do that. So I, that day, I repented and gave my life to Jesus, and that was the very first day I really taste that true joy that is more than chocolates or any achievements in my life. Um, but yeah, that's, that was the first time I received that joy, and of course, uh, life happens, and my life has up and down, but that joy was pretty lasting. But then when I, and then I came to Vancouver in 2010, and I attended another church at that time. We were quite close, uh, like I met them like two to four times a week, and you can imagine with that kind of close relationships, personality clash, and differences, conflicts, big and small, just bound to happen, and I was immature and didn't handle the conflicts well, so I'm running out of wine. <laughs> so yeah, the joy, I, I lost the joy over a, a period of time, and then until to the point that the church decided to move to Burnaby, and I live at UBC at that time, so yeah, I think the best decision for me would be to go to another church. And I work in the morning, so yeah, no brainer. Evening community is the only <laughs> choice I have, <laughs> which I'm very thankful. It has been a healing journey to me. Um, my highlight of being here is that I feel I could be myself. Um, I felt people is uh, people are so vulnerable and open, and I don't feel I'm being judged. I can just be me. Uh, and then another highlight would be 10 pastors and leaders always emphasize 24-hour Sabbath and solitude. So, And I'm pretty workaholic, so it took me a while to finally adapt those practices. But when I did it, um, yeah, I felt that Jesus did his cleansing and healing work the most during those Sabbaths. Um, one of those Sabbaths, I, after a period of silence, I, a trigger happened and I suddenly cried for two hours, like nonstop. I was shocked with myself too, like, you, what's wrong with me? And it turned out that I actually had a lot of unspoken hurt from my previous church. And so at that time, I felt the Lord just open up my wounds and allowing me just to feel the pain until finally I could name the pain and offer it back to God. And so I, I encountered the Jesus who felt the pain with me. He's not just an outside outsider doctor who healed the patient, but he, he was there identifying with my pain. So that was my first kind of joy and tasting the comfort of the Lord. And then a few weeks after I read the book by Mark Buchanan, The Rest of God, um, thanks to Ed who gave me that book. Um, and in one paragraph, he mentioned about his friend who phoned his pastor. So Mark Buchanan's friend was convicted that he failed his former pastor. He failed to support him. He failed to 
um, speak the words of life to him, and he just judged him silently. And when I read that, I was like, oh, this is like me too. <laughs> like, I, I felt that, yeah, the Lord convicted me too. As much as I felt hurt by my previous church and pastor, in fact, I actually had hurt them too and had felt my pastor. So I phoned my pastor and apologized to him. And thankfully, um, he was very forgiving too. And I, I also told him my hurt and my resentment. And he was very understanding. And he was very humble too. And he asked me for forgiveness. So that was the second kind of healing and cleansing, how the Lord turned my shame into joy. And I thought God has finished with me, but he has not finished yet. <laughs> there are so many work in my life. Um, so a few weeks later, I felt led to take sabbatical from church. So no Sunday gathering, no life group, no prayer, no serving. Yeah, just me and the Lord, like honeymoon with the Lord and with my family and just enjoy life basically. And I took for about a month. That was my very first time taking sabbatical from church and <laughs> from people. But um, on the second or third week, the Lord convicted me again that I had failed my previous church. Um, as much as I felt hurt by them, but I also had hurt them too, and I failed them. I was one of the leaders then, um, but there were, there were many things that I shouldn't do that I did, and many things that I should do, but I didn't do. Um, and it took me quite a few days, I think, to admit um, my brokenness and, and yeah, how much I felt the Lord and how much I felt the community at that time. Um, but finally, I, yeah, I confessed it to God, and I asked the Lord for forgiveness. He's really thankful for Jesus who paid it all on the cross for me. Um, and, and that time the joy was, uh, yeah, restored again and again. Um, and again, the Lord has not finished yet. So he nudged me to actually, um, confess to my previous church. And, um, I remember going there feeling like naked and vulnerable, but yet my former church was very understanding and very forgiving. And I really appreciate my former pastor. He kind of like sealed the final reconciliation. He he said something like, "Irene, we, um, Irene, on behalf of our church, we forgive you. And Irene, would you forgive us?" And at that time, the joy was just like flooding my soul. Uh, it's, it's like signing the deal, you know? Like, today, I owe you nothing. You owe me nothing. The bill is settled. Jesus has paid it all. So that was, yeah, that was my experience of joy. So I'm really thankful for Evening Community who have been journeying with me through that, um, yeah, to um, my healing journey and how Jesus turned my shame into joy as I have the the peace and right relationship with God and others. So yeah, thank okay, you. Great, thank you. Okay. <clears throat> yes, thank you, Irene, for sharing with us so openly. I appreciate your courage and strength in doing that and giving us a glimpse into your life and, and the ways that you experience joy in Christ. We're all human, we're all works in progress, for sure. You know, what she shared with us about um, being reconciled with those people that she, was, that she knew in her former church, 
You know, it reminds me of an article that I read last week. It was summarizing a study that was done at Harvard. There was a study done at Harvard, which is ongoing and has been in place and ongoing for almost 100 years. And there are many people uh, in this study, and it's about happiness. And what they're finding in this study is that it's close and healthy relationships with people. This is what leads to happiness. You know, it's not money and it's not fame. It's close and healthy relationships. And so Irene was describing this process of just apologizing to people when we make mistakes and, and reconciling. And she said that leads to joy. You know, and so scripture has been saying this for centuries, right? Even long before Harvard ever was established, that it's really important for us to have close and healthy relationships with one another, and this leads to joy. Something else really stood out to me as well from what Irene was sharing. She was sharing that she found joy when she, was, uh, when she came to know Christ, when she came to experience for the first time as a teenager a reconciled relationship with God. And this is one of the significant parts of the first sign that Jesus performed. Remember that there were six stone jars that the servants filled with water, and then Jesus turned that water into wine. And those six particular jars were used for ceremonial washing and purifying by the Jews. There were some rituals that they practiced frequently using those jars uh, for cleansing and purifying. And so when Jesus chose to use those six particular jars in this first sign, he's pointing us towards his work on the cross and the way that he offers us forgiveness and cleansing and purifying there. A short while before Jesus was crucified, he spent some time praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus knew that God was calling him to the cross, and yet he was struggling with that, and he was wondering, you know, if there's any other way. And so this is what Jesus prayed in Luke chapter 22 in the Garden of Gethsemane. He said, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. When Jesus died on the cross, he drank a cup for you, paving a way for forgiveness and cleansing and purifying. And when Jesus died on the cross, he absorbed sin and shame so that you can enjoy a relationship with God that's reconciled and a relationship with others that's also reconciled. And having a reconciled relationship with God and with others is life-changing. And it leads to joy, like Irene said. And since Christ drank from the cup on the cross for you, you can drink his new wine, this cup of joy that he offers to us in abundance. And you can taste the experience of joy in your everyday life, And you can also taste it in completeness and fullness at the wedding feast in the life to come. Jesus' first sign is significant. It points us towards what life is all about. And when we gather here together on Sundays, we can look to Christ together. We can see who he is a little more clearly. 
we can connect to God and we connect with others around us and we can experience his joy together. So Jesus turned the wine, the water to wine all those years ago and he wants to do the same for you today. Let's pray together. Living God, we see that you are the joy giver. We love you and we praise you. We pray, God, that each of us here would taste this new wine that you offer us, this cup of joy. Help each one of us here to see you more clearly. Help us to believe in you and put our faith in you for the first time or yet again. Help each of us to find life in you. Fill us with your joy, we pray in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.